chapter 4 is where we left off, uh, going through the book of Galatians, of course, and uh, we started in chapter 1 with the true gospel and Paul making sure the understanding of the church of Galatia was that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and nothing more. It is by faith alone. And chapter 2 got us into the liberty that we got in Christ when we got saved. Chapter 3 brought us through our justification by faith. The just shall live by faith. And now we've been brought into chapter 4. And uh, chapter 4 is going to be dealing with the adoption of sons. Uh, I'm going to have a good time preaching tonight. So I don't know if you will. I'm going to have some fun here. Uh, The adoption of sons. Galatians chapter 4, he starts and says, Now I say that the heir... As long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. But as under tutors and governors until the time appointed to the father, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when you knew God, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods, but after, but now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how, ye, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Uh, so Paul here is, is admonishing to the church at Corinth now, and he's moved on to uh, being an heir, and being a joint heir, and being a, not just a regular heir, but to being an adopted son of the God of the universe. And uh, with that becomes some things that have to take place, and there's a certain process that has to be met, and the certain things have to be done as we, uh, as we look over the passage. And... Uh, not to remain an adopted son. That doesn't change. We know that. Uh, and we'll get into that here in a moment as well. But Paul covers a myriad of things throughout the chapter and touches on different pieces that I can't get into all of. Uh, but I mean, he goes all the way through uh, Jesus Christ and the incarnation of Jesus Christ and becoming flesh ultimately and uh, how that worked. He, he covers our adoption. He covers the redemption that we have. He covers Uh, Not only that, but the seal that we have in Christ because of the spirit of promise that we receive. Uh, He covers everything all the way out through uh, us going ahead and acknowledging and accepting of the truth and going through. And uh, I mean, he covers all over the place, all over the map, different doctrines that you and I would normally cover and we would talk about and we know and we understand. But tonight I want to focus solely on uh, one idea, and that is that we are the adopted sons of God, and as the adopted sons of God, we have certain things we ought to have and certain things we ought to do, and certain things that aren't really a part of that adoption idea. And so we're going to go ahead and look at the chapter here and recognize the adoption that has taken place because of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what He did for us. And so let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get right in to the text tonight. Father, I thank You for the night, and I thank You, Father, You are good to us. And your mercy and your care of us is unparalleled. Father, you are a great God. And Father, it'll be worth it all when we get to see our Savior. And Father, if that's tonight, then let's get it going and we'll gladly have a trumpet sound to go home. 
Uh, but Father, if not, I pray you would help us to get what we need tonight from the words of God. And beside that, I pray you would help us to get what we, what we need overall so that we can praise you and understand you just a little bit better tonight. Father, we pray you would work in our hearts and help us, Lord, to grow closer to our Savior even now. Father, we pray you get the praise and the honor and the glory. We thank you so much for the answers to prayer we've already gotten this week. We pray that you would continue to work. Lord, be my voice, help it to uh, stay strong and be able to preach here tonight and uh, not have any complications there, but that we'd be able to hear what you need us to hear tonight without distraction in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Pastor had the caveat if he fell down this morning uh, that I would get up and finish his message for him. So, if my voice completely goes out, preacher notes are right here. Uh, you go ahead. Um, now, you know what that does to the guy who's sitting there? That is... I really need to pay attention. That's the first thing that you think. I better pay attention because I got to figure out where he left off in those notes when I get up there. And then the second thing is, I hope I can read his notes. That's the other one. Uh, <laughs> that's true. He's a lefty, and I don't know a lefty that has good handwriting. So uh, that's even worse. Um, are you a lefty, Don? Oh, okay. I know somebody with good handwriting who's a lefty. Man, I was hoping. Uh, but either way, his is terrible. Uh, but uh, we'll get away from that before I get in more trouble. I already caused problems. Uh, but first of all, the first thing we see here in the chapter, uh, as he comes in, he's, he's talking about the difference between the heir and the child and so on. And then he makes the comment in verse number, verse number four. He says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Uh, first thing I want you to note is the process of adoption. Uh, there's the process of adoption that shows up. You say, well, what happened? You know, uh, anybody who has gone through adoption or had to deal with that process, we see different things and different pieces. We know some folks in the church who've had to go through some of those things so that they can take care of family members and other things like that. And all the paperwork and all the, all the strings you get through and you finally get to the place. And the truth is that adoption happens because somebody wanted you. Uh, he included me. Uh, we sang that tonight, right? Uh, the Lord included you. He wanted you. Uh, he wanted to save you. And so what did he do? Well, God came up with a plan. He says in verse number four, when the fullness of time was come, there was the proper time to start the paperwork. <laughs> There's a proper time for it. You know, the fullness of time showed up. And I've talked about this at Christmas uh, repeatedly. Uh, it's amazing to me uh, the way that God had to make things work out in the process of time. Uh, but one of the things that he did was he wants to make sure in, in the truth of dispensations is that God is eliminating all of mankind's excuses. Uh, mankind has a set of ideas. We have a set of excuses that we'd like to build in and try to prove that you and I can make it to heaven without God. And so uh, the first one is, well, if you give me everything perfect and innocent and nobody did anything wrong and everything's pure and everything's clean, if you'd have given me a clean start, you see, I'd be fine and I wouldn't mess up. Well, Adam and Eve had a clean start and they messed up. Well, you know, but yeah, if, uh, if you know, you just, uh, if you just gave us the perfect environment and the perfect, well, that's the head. They messed up. <laughs> You keep going and you go and well, the family and the, and the right government and the right everything and all those pieces and all God does is go, okay, well, here it is. Here's the dispensation. This is what you need to do to get to heaven. 
This is what you need to do to be good with me and you and have a relationship with, okay. And mankind failed it over and over again. So finally he institutes the law with all of its ordinances and says, okay, here you go. Have all all these laws and ordinances and I'll put them out. I will spell out everything you need to do constantly. Well, just tell me what I need to do. Okay, he told you what you need to do. And mankind failed it. And so now he goes ahead and says, well, I'm going to answer Job finally. He's going to, finally, he's going to get around to real answering Job right here. Say, so what's he going to do? He's going to do the thing that Job wanted him to do. God, live your life like a man and go ahead and let's see if we can do this face to face. Well, God's not a man. He doesn't understand me. Okay. Well, when the fullness of time was come, the right time happened. I said, okay, it's time to do what? To send, my, send forth my son. I said, okay, it's time. I'm going to send my son. And he not only does it in the proper time, he sends the proper person to do it. Uh, not, there's not one other person that could have redeemed us. There's nobody else in the universe that could have taken care and redeemed and paid for the debt of our sins. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. That wasn't adequate. The blood of an angel wouldn't work. Don't even know if they have it. But the blood of God. Say, whose blood was coursing through the veins of Jesus Christ? The blood of God. That's the statement he makes in Acts, right? The church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Whose blood? God's blood. See, we were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from our vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish, he says in Peter. Uh, We don't have anything corruptible. See, it couldn't be somebody else's blood or some lamb's, but all that's corrupted. We don't have any pure sacrifice outside of Jesus Christ. And if he's not a pure sacrifice, we don't have one. There's nothing adequate to take away the sin of the world outside of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, that cleanseth us from all sin. If he's not the son of God, he's not the right sacrifice. If he's not the son of God, he is not the proper person to go ahead and make the payment to pay for the debt of our sins so that we could be adopted. If he's not the one, then he is not, he is not adequate. And you and I have no savior. He's the right man. He shows up as the son of God. And he shows up in the proper method, made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus Christ shows up and humbles himself. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, for he shall save his people from their sins. He shows up, a man born of a virgin, in the right place at the right time to fulfill every prophecy that's given of him. Talk about the fullness of time. This is one of the things I mentioned at Christmas uh, a couple years ago. I did it. You realize that the taxation that happened to bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem was started years before and was put on hold by the Jewish government going and appealing to Rome. When? So that the fullness of time could come that Jesus would have a reason to be born in Bethlehem. Literally, the kingdoms of the world at that point waited so that Jesus could be born at Bethlehem. 
so that God could choose Mary, find a, find a woman that he was found worthy, who would be willing to go ahead and do what he asked her to do. Say, oh, she's special. She is special. I wouldn't deny that. She's a pretty special lady. She's not as special as some folks want to make her. She knows she needs a Savior. You heard about that this morning. I won't get into all that. But the Lord had the fullness of time. He chose the right time to bring forth His Son to go ahead and take care of the need of the sins of the world. He shows up under the law. Why? So that He can fulfill all the law and the prophets. He shows up at the right time to fulfill every prophecy about Him, including His crucifixion. With Roman power, he would be able to do that. I mean, you talk about all the pieces. The proper time, the proper person, the proper method, and he came with the right purpose. The proper purpose was to redeem them that were under the law. He shows up and goes, you can't live up to the law? That's a schoolmaster. It's a taskmaster that you and I can't get out from underneath and you can't live up to and it's no good and it's just condemning and condemning and condemning. Not that the law is evil. The law is good. But I am evil. (laughs) I'm the one who's carnal, sold under sin. I'm the one who's in bondage and can't get out. And so he goes, what do I got to do? Well, I got to redeem them. Well, how do I do that? I send my son. I'll pay the debt of their sin. I'll be the propitiation for their sin. I'll take care of the problem, and I'll redeem them. And not only does He redeem us, but He makes us sons. Tourists, that, they might, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Say, how did we get that adoption? We decided to sign up for it. You see, He drew up all the paperwork. He got everything all organized, but you know what He wasn't going to do? He wasn't going to take you if you didn't want it. He doesn't have to adopt you. Not going to make you go live with him. He wants you. The question was, would you want him? Or do you want to stay with the father you have? Lost man has a father. You're of your father the devil and the lust of your father he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. That's the devil. You're of your father the devil and the lust of your father ye will do. That's what the world is lost in. A lost man has a father. It's the devil and he's a deadbeat dad. He doesn't take care of his kids. He uses and abuses and then throws them away. Lord looks around and says, when thy father and thy mother forsake thee, the Lord will take thee up. Say, I'll take you. I love you. I died for you. The devil wants everybody to die for him. The Lord's the only one who decided he'd die for you. Loved you enough to die for you and pay the price so that he could pay all those fees to make sure you could be adopted properly. And he gave you the adoption of sons. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Did you receive him? Well, that's the process of the adoption right there. The Lord set out, we looked at it last time, the Lord set out all of the qualifications for the contract between him and Abraham. The promises that he made and the setup that he did for Abraham was all based upon the promises that God made and everything that he did and the covenant that they made at that particular moment. Abraham was sleeping. 
doing nothing. God was the one fulfilling the contract. When you got saved, all you did was receive the blessings that God had already determined were in the contract. And part of that contract was he'd adopt you as his son. And now you're part of a better family. And because you've gone through that process of adoption, you've decided you'd ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, that he'd wash you of all of your sins and all the benefits that go along with it. He puts his spirit, the spirit of his Son into your hearts so you can cry, Abba, Father, he says in verse number 6. And you're no more just a servant. See, to the devil you were just a servant. Well, now you're no more servants. But you're sons. And if a son, then an heir, according, uh, then an heir, excuse me, uh, of God through Christ. That's who we are. We're heirs of God now. We get in on an inheritance based upon what he did for us. Based upon the fact that he'd accept us. The amazing part of the adoption is that he wanted us. I know me, I don't. I don't rightly know I want to be around me very much. I'm stuck with me. The Lord wasn't stuck with me. He chose me. He was willing to take me. A lost world looks at Psalm chapter 23 and they say, well, that sounds like a wicked dictator. Psalm 23, one of the most beautiful psalms in all the scriptures. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. You know what they say about that statement? Oh, he makes me do that? He's bossing me around. Won't let me go where I want to go. Say, what is that? That's a lost man who can't figure out what God's doing. He maketh me to lie down, meaning he makes it so I can actually lie down in green pastures. He opens the liberty that you didn't have before. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. They get to that spot where thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Why is he making me sit in front of my enemies like that? Making me a spectacle. That's a foolish, foolish lost man. He has no sense. Say, so what's he doing? He's giving you the blessings and letting your enemies watch it, how great he is to you. And they can't even figure that out. You say, why? Because they're not a son. They don't understand how great God is to his sons. When he adopts them, he goes ahead and makes sure he takes care of them. He wants them. He wants to keep them. He wants to protect them. He wants to give them the promises because he's the one who goes ahead and takes all responsibility for them. That's all part of the adoption. We could get into a lot of other things. I'm not going to for the moment. That's the process of the adoption that you and I got. But there's also another process that you have to worry about afterwards, and that's the process of advancement. Look over at verse number eight. He says, How be it then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid for you. I am afraid of you. I'm sorry. Lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you be as I am. For I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. 
you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh he despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if, I, that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. I, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Paul is writing and he's, he's talking about how they could advance, how they could move forward, how they could grow as a Christian. And his statement, his first statement to them is about their service. Notice what he says in verse 8 and verse 9. He, verse 8, 9, 10, he says that they did service before they knew God. Their service was to things that were not God's. <laughs> That'd be the devil. They did service to those things who were not, no God's. But now after you had known God, verse 9, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements? Why are you going back to the bondage? In verse number 9, say, so how did they do that? You observe days, months, and times, and years. What are they doing? Oh, that's, that's the old law. Why are you going back to what you used to have? Why are you going back to the bondage of the past? Why do you go back to serve the things that you served when they didn't do you any good service before? <clears throat> Excuse me, that's the question he's asking. He's asking why. Why are you going back to those things? Why aren't you serving the one that you go ahead and got your adoption from? Why is it when you got your new father, you decided to go back to your old father? That's a good question. The old father didn't do you any good before. Why are you going back over there now? The law didn't do you any good back there as the Jews were trying to put you back under it. Uh, that law didn't do them any good. It didn't do you any good. It didn't do anybody any good outside of telling them how wicked they were. Why is it that you'd go back that direction instead of staying with the one who saved you from all those things and the consequences of not keeping those things? Why would you revert back to those things? What do you serve now? Do you go back and serve the old law? Do you go back and serve the old commandments? Do you go back and serve the old ways and the old master and the old God? Your old father? That won't produce growth. That won't produce a closer walk with the one who adopted you. How do I advance? Well, you start serving the right things as opposed to going back and serving the old ones. We make the change and we no longer do the things, the former conversation, the old man. We put off concerning those things and we put on the new man. We put off the former conversation. We, we start walking in newness of life over here. Amen. We stop following an old master and we go ahead and quit serving two masters. We go ahead and serve the one who paid for us and loved us enough to die for us. So how do I advance? You start serving the right master. You start serving the right father, the one who loved you and adopted you. And then he says in verse number 11, this is a scary little phrase right here, I am afraid of you. <laughs> 
lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Now I'm about to, we're going to keep reading here. Uh, he's afraid of them. Now he's not afraid of them like they're going to come hurt him. He's afraid that he's labored in vain for them. What does that mean? That means Paul put some time into some of those folks. And he put some time into those folks and is watching them fall apart. Now that holds a special place for some people who put in some time with some people. Maybe you put some time in on some people. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's somebody, just a friend. Maybe it's somebody that's around. You know what, you know what Paul's afraid of? He's afraid that he did all those things in vain and they're going to go back to their old masters. That's what I'm afraid of. Paul's going, that's what I'm afraid. Of what? That you're going to hurt me by, by going back. That's the burden of the preacher. The burden of the preacher is, you know, sometimes we put in so much time with some people because they're weak and we thought we could make them strong and they don't get strong, they stay weak because of the choices they make. Can I be a little extra honest tonight? Be okay, I hope. Sometimes I wish I, I spent more time on some other people that were stronger to make sure that they stayed strong. So what do you pray for? Pray, Lord, give me wisdom on who to help, when to help them. Who can I spend more time with? Who should I spend more time with? Who should I spend less time with? Time gets eaten up quickly. It's not hard. You know what Paul's worried about? That he's putting time in, he's put time in, he's put time in, and he's, he's about to watch them fall apart. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am. For I am as ye are. You have not injured me at all. He says, hey, I'm just like you. Don't worry, you haven't hurt me. I'm afraid you're going to, but you haven't hurt me yet. <laughs> You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now my guess is Paul had that infirmity of the flesh, the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet him, uh, probably due to the stonings and the beatings that he took. More than likely, he probably was not a very pretty man at this point. I don't rightly know you get stoned to death and uh, come out looking great. Uh, probably some things, not only that, but probably his eyesight was probably the issue, as you later see with possibly from his experience on the road to Damascus there and the light shining down from heaven. Might have had some lasting eye problems because he says they would give him their own eyes. They would have pulled him out and given them to him if that would have helped him. But he had some sort of deformities and they welcomed him though. When he first came, they, they willingly welcomed him, no matter what he looked like. didn't bother him. They were just glad they were getting the truth. Now notice, though, he says, Where is then, verse 15, the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. 
Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You see, there's the process of advancement starts with service, but then it's going to have to go to submission. Say submission to what? Submission to the truth. You can't grow if you're unwilling to accept what the truth is. You won't get any farther. The truth shows up and the Lord brings you the truth and it's either going to be you're going to make the change and you're going to do what you need to do regardless of what the change is or you're stuck there. You won't advance any farther. You won't grow. You won't make the next step and make a bigger achievement. Instead, he's going, hey, am I become your enemy because I'm giving you the truth? Before you welcomed me, no matter how terrible I looked, now I'm giving you the truth and now you don't want anything to do with me. This is the classic of what have you done for me lately? I don't want to trust you and I don't want to like you and I don't want to do anything with you. Why? Because you keep telling me the truth. (laughs) Well, I don't like what you have to say. Didn't make it any less the truth. When you start deciding that it's going to be your opinions and your way instead of doing it God's way and instead of getting the truth and doing it God's truth and using and realizing that guess what? I'm not doing it right. I need to change something. God is no longer obligated to do anything else. He does not have to make you do the truth. He doesn't have to make you walk in His ways and follow His footsteps and do what He needs you to do. He will let you do what you want to do. But it won't be an advancement. It won't be you going forward. We grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. You won't grow that way if you won't accept the truth. What's the, what's the problem that we find over and over and over and over and over again? An unacceptance of the truth. The truth is presented to someone. Romans chapter 1, they know God. They glorify Him not as God, neither are thankful. They worship and serve the creature more than the Creator. And what happens? Everything goes downhill from there. You say, what did they reject? They rejected the truth they were given. And it all goes downhill from there. He's meeting, Jesus Christ is sitting in front of Pilate face to face. Pilate asks the question, hey, are you from, whence comest thou? (laughs) Is it true what they're saying about you? Who are you? Are you the king of the Jews? Who are you? And finally he gets to the place where the Lord says, nope, I'm not answering anything else. I gave you all the truth you need, Pilate. What are you going to do with it? You know what scares me sometimes? that we don't do what he told us to do. And when's he going to stop talking to me? Wouldn't that be a scary moment? Lord says, hey, I gave you enough truth. You haven't made the change? Then I'm not going any further. I'm staying right here. Say, so how do I grow? You find out who you're going to serve. And then you keep submitting to the truth that, they, that he gives you. And in order to do that, look at verse number 17. He says, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you, might be, that you might affect them, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. 
And not only when I am present with you, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. He says, hey, there's some zeal. But you've gotten around the wrong people. You need to separate. If you're going to get it in... Uh, advance any further. You need to do the right thing. You need to get in the right service and service to God. You need to submit to the truth and you need to separate to God from those who would keep you from God. Say, what did he do? Uh, Hey, uh, you're zealously affected, but not well. He asked him in the last chapter, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Somebody's had to tell you something that you quit believing what the truth was. Somebody stepped in and messed around with the truth in front of you and you let them and you let them trick you and you didn't separate and they got you all fired up about that because you wanted that and now you're going to go and you're zealous of this. Paul knows about being a zealot. His statement is, According to zeal, hey, I persecuted the church. (laughs) When he was in a religion, he knew what zealous was. He was such a zealot, he killed people. And he looks at these guys, hey, and he says, you know what? Having zeal is good. Being zealous is good if it's about the right things. But the zeal that he had before he got saved was a bad zeal. And the zeal that these folks are getting, you know what they have? They have a bad one. Because they've chosen to be zealous about the foolish things and they've gone ahead and gotten zealous about the wrong doctrine and the wrong truths and the wrong things that they were supposed to be holding to and now they're going to dig their heels in and they're going to stand against the truth and Paul's going, hey, when I show up, I'm hoping I can change my voice and not be as discouraged that you guys are going to fix this. You know, you get into the idea of a zeal. You know what Paul's doing? He's saying, hey, I travailed in birth for you. And now i got to do it all over again. I worked hard to get you to be born again and then to watch you start growing. And I put all this time into you and I put all this effort into you and now I'm going to come back again and I'm going to have to start all over from the ground because you forgot everything that I taught you before and you've replaced it with some zeal according to the worldly knowledge or according to the Jews' knowledge or according to so-and-so's knowledge instead of what the truth is. Now I'm going to go ahead and hammer something. And you can like me or hate me. And I don't care at that point. There is a reason that I dislike greatly the idea of YouTube preachers. If you want to go ahead and get your doctrine off of YouTube, you're going to get messed up, I guarantee it. Go fishing around and keep looking around and looking around and looking around. You know what you'll find? You'll find something. And they'll be zealous about it. And it'll sound great. There's guys out there, they use a King James Bible, they call themselves a Baptist, they do all these things, and you know what they are? They're using the name and the title and doing all these things so that they can prove a false doctrine and go ahead and get somebody like you to go ahead and listen to them. And then all of a sudden, you get stirred up and zealous about it. And then you're going to come and talk to the preacher and you're going to come and see Pastor Lego and I will open the scriptures, we'll tell you how stupid it was. And you know what you'll do? You'll go, no, 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 I know the truth, I've got this. There's a reason the Lord has you sitting in a church and not sitting on YouTube. 
There's a reason for that. You say, why? You know, Paul's statement about it is, you know our conversation among you. You don't know those people's conversation anywhere. You realize, Pastor and I, uh, we get asked often, uh, at least, pretty regularly anyways, if we'd be a recommendation for a job or a place to stay, sometimes an apartment rent, you know, stuff. It looks good to have a pastor on your, uh, on your documents, all right? Uh, still, somehow, all right, I know. Uh, but it does, it looks good. Hey, that means they're accountable. They probably go to that church. That means they're probably a little bit better of a citizen. Usually, that's kind of the concept. The concept is you're better if you go to church. At least you might behave yourself better than some other folks. And so we'll do that. But to be honest, you know what I warn everybody? Pastor does the same thing. I know he does. I'll sign for you once. But if you make a mess at this job... Don't expect me to sign again, and if you have me sign again, I'm not going to be saying anything dishonest. Right. Say, why? Because we know you here, and anybody can be on their best behavior for a couple hours. See, but the day-to-day, <laughs> your family knows who you are. Your family knows what you're like. Your family knows what happens when you're in stress and troubled and disgruntled and unhappy and whether you murmur at God and yell at him and throw a fit and do this and do that. I don't know all those things. Why would you think you'd know all those things about the guy who just threw up a video there and acted like he was real smart? And you'll let him rest the scriptures to your own destruction because it'll be your destruction. People get sucked into that. This guy's great. This guy's great. You know nothing about him. You have no clue. And you know what you'll do? You'll get zealous over things that aren't true. And you'll die there. Because you refuse to acknowledge the truth. Say, why'd you get all fired up about that? Because it kills people. I'd I'd name people, but I really don't want to. Because I've got them. I've got them. You try and argue with them, you try and talk to them, you try to show them, you try to show them, and you watch them crumble. You know what Paul says? I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Paul's doubting that they'll get it right. He goes, I wish I was standing right there with you so I could explain this a whole lot better and you could see me face to face and we could, we could fix this. Paul's going, we can fix this. But he's not so sure Galatia's going to do it. He's just not so sure. Why? Because they've been so bewitched from the truth. Would they separate from those zealots that had pulled them in? Or are they going to stay tied to them? There's better people to be attached to. Say, how do I advance? You get in the service of the king, you submit to the truth, and you separate from the zealots and get close to God. And then you have the process of the achievement. Not only the process of the adoption, the process of advancement, you have the process of achievement. In verse 21, he says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye 
not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one, of a bond ma- the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But, who, but he who was of a bond, the bondman, uh, woman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is as above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, and as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he was born after the flesh, persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Say, what do you mean by the process of achievement? You want a, you want a victorious life? Just give me a moment here and I'll finish up. But uh, how, do, how do I get victories? Well, uh, Old Testament application, you know the story. You know the whole, the whole setup. You know how it all went. Uh, ultimately, Old Testament, uh, you had Ishmael and you had Isaac, and the one was the son of Hagar and the other was the son of Sarah. And uh, the two of them, obviously, they, they couldn't stay together. And so, of course, he cast out the bondwoman and so on. And although the Lord blessed Ishmael and took care of him, that was about as far as it went. The separation happened. The promises don't go to Ishmael. Uh, they go to uh, Isaac and, and so on down his lineage, Isaac to Jacob and Jacob to the 12 patriarchs and so on. You know how it goes. The child of promise. In context, you look at this particular passage and for what they're dealing with is they're dealing with the Jews and Sinai, the law where Moses was on the mount and he got the two tables of stone. And then all the ordinances and all the pieces that go along with it and everything else that has to go along, uh, that's Sinai, that's bondage. And the Jews are trying to bring the Gentiles who are saved now, the church of God, are trying to bring the church back under the bondage of what the Jews had. And you and I got the promises of eternal life and a free gift from heaven, uh, the gift of Jesus Christ and the price that was paid at Calvary. And you and I were set free. We were promised liberty. and We were promised that freedom that we talked about in the last, or in chapter 2. And we were given that by Jesus Christ alone. And we have uh, living by faith as opposed to living by the law in chapter 3. And now you get to chapter 4. You know what he says? He says, hey, the Jews are trying to put you back over there under the bondage of the, of the bondwoman when in truth you're supposed to be part of the free. You're supposed to have liberty. You're supposed to be walking over here and having all the blessings and not being stuck under that bondage and having to deal with all those things. But now in practicality, because let's face it, you and I don't have the Jews showing up and telling us to get back under bondage. (laughs) But you and I do have something different. Notice what he says in verse number 27, or verse number, I'm sorry, verse number 29. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so... It is now. I say, what's the practical application? The flesh persecuting the spiritual man. You say, what happens every day? Your flesh persecutes the new man. 
and tries to put him back in bondage. Isn't that the Christian life? The Christian life is Romans chapter 7, the biggest tongue twister of the Bible. That which I would, I do not, and that which I would not, that do I. And back and forth he goes. I find that a law in my members that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Well, I want to do right, but I don't know how to do right because I keep having to fight this thing that won't go away and I crucify my flesh and I die daily and I do all these things. But the truth is every morning I wake up and he's back. So what's his answer right here? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. <laughs> you say, what is that? That's exactly what he keeps telling you to do over and over again. Get rid of the flesh. Get rid of the flesh. Get rid of the flesh. Put it down. Put its desires down. Put it back in bondage to itself. Just put it down already so that you can walk free. Cast off the bondwoman. Cast off the bondage that's there. Now, how do I do that? Deny the flesh. Quit following what it wants you to do and walk after the Spirit. So how do I get victory? How do I get growth? Well, I don't want to give up the, the you know, I, I really think that I've got a point here. I know it doesn't match all the truth of the Bible, but I really want to hold on to this. I'm very zealous of it. Then put your pride down. Isn't that a work of the flesh? Put your pride down and submit to the God of heaven. Submit to the truth of his book. Go ahead and remove yourself from the ones that would keep you in bondage. See, your flesh feeds. It feeds off of all those links to everything around you. It wants to be coddled. It wants to be told how great it is. It wants to be built up and puffed up and made to feel great. And the truth is, it's not great. It's not even good. In me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. We forget that. We, we know it, but we forget it. We let the flesh do, so, we do so many things based upon just, well, that's what I always do. Well, yeah, but, I mean, it's not a bad thing, so I should be able to keep doing it. The Lord told you not to. I used, so uh, my diet for about a month and a half is out the window, in case you were wondering. Uh, I don't think I've done terrible, but I definitely have not done well. Um, I did run it well. What hindered me? A hospital over and over again. Uh, when you're at a hospital for 24 hours, it is hard to be on a diet. Um, you know what I didn't do? <laughs> I'm happy with one thing I did not do. I refused to cave on one spot. I still did not have a soda. For a month and a half, I still, I refused. I walked over to that vending machine and I swiped my card and I said, water. <laughs> water. And I was really mad every time I walked away, but I did it anyways. Uh, and you say, what was that? Just to let my flesh know, I don't care. You still don't get a bottle of soda for this, all right? Uh, it was a minor victory, let me tell you. It wasn't much of one. Uh, I failed a whole lot of other areas. But that one right there, I said, I, I'm, not, I'm not going back on that. Say, so what? Does that really matter? It matters a little bit. Say, so, oh, that's just a dumb thing. I know it is. That's a dumb thing. 
But you know what you do? You go, yeah, I just didn't have time today, so I'll just skip reading my Bible today. And that wasn't a big thing. Except that it is. Well, it, didn't, it, it doesn't affect me much today. Yeah, but it'll affect you tomorrow because you skipped it tomorrow too. Oh, oh, no, I'll catch it up tomorrow. Okay. You lost your consistency. You lost the consistency. Say what won? Your flesh won that day. You let it win. Oh, yeah, it's just, it's, it, I mean, how bad could it be? Just one slip. Just one moment. You realize if you never miss a day, you have no problem not missing a day. It's the first day you miss. And as soon as that happens, it makes it a whole lot easier to miss a second one. And then you get a little farther behind and you go, I can't catch up. I might as well quit. Question for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done here shortly. How many of you have made a promise to the Lord? You said, you know, I'm going I'm to read my Bible this year. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray like this this year. Or I'm going to do this this year. And you started. You started something. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you actually started it, all right? You started Think about the day that you stopped. I guarantee there's, so, there, there's something in here. You stopped it. Now, you may have restarted it already. But you remember the day that you stopped it? Why'd you stop it? Was it because the Spirit told you, oh, yeah, you can stop that now? Or was it just that your flesh had won and you gave up? And what happened? You didn't make your achievement. You didn't achieve. And what did you do? You stopped because you let your flesh win. The bondman put you back in bondage. And you went ahead and did it the flesh's way. Because I was just too tired to fight that day. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. You know what the devil tries to do? To wear out the saints. He wants you tired and he wants you weak so that you just won't fight again. You know what your flesh wants? He wants your new man tired and weak so that you won't do what he wants, you'll do it his way. You'll go ahead and go back to the flesh. You'll put yourself back in bondage. The Lord set you at liberty. The Lord made it so you could be free. The Lord made it so you could have the victories. The Lord made it so you didn't have to go back under the bondage and the elements of all the things that you and I struggle with in our flesh. He made it so we could be free. Yeah, but I already gave up. And wipe the slate clean. I want to encourage you tonight. Wipe the slate clean. Go, Lord, I failed. I've, messed, I've been messing this up, and I'm not going to try and go back and make up for all the things. How do you make up for all the things? It's been so long, what, are you going to make up for six years of Bible reading? 
Here's a better option. Start today. Wipe it clean and say, Lord, I'm sorry I've been failing. I'm sorry I let my flesh win. I'm sorry I haven't been praying like I should. I'm sorry I haven't been witnessing like I should. I'm sorry I didn't keep the victory that you gave me over here on this sin over here. I'm sorry I didn't keep the victory over here on keeping that out of my life. I'm sorry I didn't get the victory over here and continue to do what you told me to do right here. I'm sorry I haven't been doing that and I let the flesh win and I'm back under bondage and I keep failing and I keep failing. But you know what I want to do? I want to serve you because I heard the truth. I'm going to submit to the truth because I know what you told me to do. I'm going to separate from all those things over there so I can put myself in a good spot so that I can get the victory that you want me to have. Put my flesh down. I'll deny. And I'll go ahead and do it your way. So yeah, but I can't make up for all the... You can't make up for all the things. Forget about trying to make up for all the things. Can't make up for all the things. Could you imagine trying to make up all the things that you've ever done to Jesus Christ? You aren't going to make, you aren't going to make up for all that. Say, what do I need? I need to start today. Restart today. Recognize, hey, I'm, I was under bondage. I put myself back in bondage. I'm so, that, but let me stay in free. Let me walk in liberty. Let me, walk in, let me get my victory. Why? Because I'm the adopted son of a holy God. And with the adoption comes some great promises. That you don't have to live like you're back under bondage. You got a way better God and a way better father. And he wants you to achieve great things. Let's go ahead and stand tonight. Maybe the Lord's dealing with you. Maybe you just, you think, man, I've been missing right there. Lord, I'm sorry, I, I should have been doing this, or I'm sorry I didn't listen. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is. You know what it is. Praise the Lord, we don't have to stay in bondage. We don't have to go back under the flesh. We don't have to deal with the flesh that way. The Lord's got a victory for you. Yeah, but I failed. I don't know how to fix it. You can't fix it. Don't go back and try and fix it. The Lord's the one who fixes it. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you know what he'll do? He'll go, okay, just man falls seven times and riseth up again. Time to start walking again. Time to go again. Say, yeah, but I might fall down. Then try again. Try again. My flesh won today. Try again. Try again. Say why? Because we're the adopted sons of God. How about we act like it? Father, I pray you would bless the invitation now. Get the glory. It's all yours. You're such an amazing Savior. Pray you'd help us to walk that way.